Hello, welcome to the Women's Rooted Podcast, a ministry in which we strive to encourage the women of our body here at First Baptist Church in Canyon, Texas to be rooted and built up in Christ. I'm Julie Solomon, and I'm here today joined by uh, Molly Yeager and Kathy Jackson. Hi, guys. Hi, everyone. It's so good to be back. And uh, we took a little break for the summer. We had a couple of um, podcasts, if you didn't get to listen, to hear about some of the women from our church who are in other areas of the world serving the Lord. Um, But we're back um, this fall with more stories of how God has been working in and through women of the Bible to accomplish his purposes. And so today we're going to be here talking about Deborah and Ruth and Naomi. And so we're going to get to that in a minute. But first, we just want to say welcome back and say hey to our friends here um, recording today. Hi, girls. Good to be back. We are going to start with an icebreaker question today, and we are trying something really bold. We don't know what the question is. I'm not sure about this. So I'm going to give a (laughs) random number, and then Molly's going to read the question. So what is question number 12? I'm a little scared. (laughs) Are there 12 questions? I didn't even ask how many. (laughs) Okay, well, okay, y'all can veto this if you want. What's your biggest career success story? Are we all teachers? We have been. Career-wise, we're all teachers and moms. I was in my second year at Tesco, so leading the math department. Um, I had some great teachers I had brought in, and... That year on the star test, we beat Amarillo High. Oh, nice. That's a big <laughs> yes. deal. Yeah. So we we did a few victory laps, and we're pretty excited about it. So, yeah, that that seemed pretty good kudos, but it wasn't me. But yeah. I, I was uh, good at getting good people. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Mm. I was a high school Spanish teacher before our children were born. And it's funny, like, I, I guess – I was, well, I was super shy growing up and I was, you know, like I didn't want anyone to call on me, Mm -hmm. but something happened. Like I became a teacher (laughs) and like, you know, you kind of have this teacher personality and like, I had so much fun those years I did it. Like I remember one year I was teaching Spanish one and two in a ninth grade campus and I found this disco song and I created (laughs) Chores is all the vocabulary yes. of like do the dishes, but like in Spanish, we had like emotions, and I'm it's like so great. breaking it down disco yeah. style in Spanish. I'm like, who am I? Oh, I <laughs> but love like, it. I had so much fun, and I think that some of the bis- biggest successes is that I have at least two students now who are Spanish teachers themselves, oh, and cool. like I don't know that they loved it before my class, yeah. but like they just had a good time and they went on to study yeah. it. And now, like I have no doubt, they speak much better Spanish yeah. than I ever did. <laughs> but like that's kind of a fun. Yeah, that's um, very cool. Yeah, that's cool. I think every teacher considers it a success when their kids are learning and they have no idea that they're learning. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that happens a lot in theater. Um, they they think they're just doing some fun, fun activity or get to know you kind of thing but really behind the scenes you're doing something a lot bigger all right well we're gonna jump into the judges so um we left off in the spring when we did basically the women of Moses's life and so we left off with Israel in the wilderness they were wandering around for 40 years because of their disobedience and right at the end of that 40 year period 
right as God is about to lead Joshua, who's the leader at that time, um, or becomes the leader and Israel into the land that he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob like 400 years ago, um, Joshua sends out some spies to Jericho, which was a, a major city in Canaan, and we encounter a pagan woman, a prostitute named Rahab. Now, we're mm-hmm. actually going to skip over Rahab, which may seem crazy because, I don't know, we women love to talk about yes, Rahab, yes. but mm-hmm. Pastor Steve preached an excellent sermon on yes. Rahab. So we wanted, instead of us discussing just how God used Rahab, um, giving her faith from hearing the stories right. of God and how he had rescued Israel um, and God using her to build the nation of Israel. Um, we want to send you to Steve's sermon. It's on Joshua 2, and it's called The Scarlet Cord of Hope. Yeah. So if you weren't there that Sunday, um, go listen to that. But basically, um, Israel enters a period of conquest where God is giving the 12 tribes their inheritance in the land of Canaan. And during the period of Joshua's lifetime and a little bit afterwards, Israel was faithful to follow God and the covenant that he had made with them. But then we enter the period of the judges where basically Israel went into a downward spiral. And instead of following the Lord, who was their king, they were doing what was right in their own eyes. They were worshiping the Canaanite gods, following their customs. And they were basically in this cycle of rebellion. And what would happen is because they didn't drive all the Canaanites out of the land because of their disobedience, God was Uh using that as what he said, a thorn in their side and a snare to them. And because of their rebellion, allowing these Canaanite enemies to conquer them for a time and greatly oppress Mm. Israel. And so then they would cry out to God in their oppression and God would deliver them through some sort of military deliverance. And they would enter a time of peace and repentance. And then like back to square one, back into their rebellion. And so God would use these judges who were leaders at the time of Israel to deliver his people. Um, So we're talking about a period of about two to 250 years. This would have been about um, like mid 14th or late 13th century BC to 11th century BC. Um, So as we're going to discuss some women today that lived in the period of the judges, we're going to... God's justice in dealing with sin, but also his mercy and his faithfulness and how he was using a remnant of faithful followers and faithful women, as we're going to see today, um, who kept his covenant and trusted in his promises and how he was working his big story of redemption um, using this faithful remnant. And that's actually going to be a theme this semester as we view that God was preserving a people for himself in the midst of a, a sinful people. Um, so we're going to jump in to our first woman, which is Deborah. So Julie, can you set this yes. up for us? So Deborah is um, a strong woman in the Bible who, um, in Judges chapter 4, there is the narrative of what happens with her. And then in Judges chapter 5, there is what um, is called Deborah's song. And so the narrative tells us exactly what happened and what was, it's where God gives us the details of what's going on with the Israelites and um, him delivering them. And then in Deborah's song, um, just like a lot of the poetry and songs in God's word do, it gives us um, 
a means for how to feel about what God has done. That's what Psalms does too. It, it gives us language for how to feel about the God, the maker of heaven and earth, whereas Genesis is a narrative of how God created, then Psalms tells us how to feel about that. And that's what Deborah's song does as well. It tells us how to feel about this faithful God who uh, rescues his people. And so uh, here's the story of Deborah. Deborah is, the Bible tells us that she is both a prophetess, which means that she speaks the words of God to the the people, and she's also a judge. And judges in that time were a little bit different than what we're accustomed to when we think of a judge. Um, These judges helped with decision-making. They helped um, kind of to lead and guide and counsel people. And Deborah, it tells us that she sat um, under a a section of trees where she would be every day, and people would come to her with their, um, either with questions or problems, and she would help to solve those problems. And one of the days while she's there, um, she is led of God to uh, summon um, a man named Barak. And so she brings Barak there and she tells Barak that God has commanded him to go to battle for the Israelites and to free them from the oppression of this evil king um, and his commander. And the commander's name was Sisera. And he was a very, um, he was a bad leader. Yeah, dude, he <laughs> he, <was>. he took <laughs> delight in torturing and he had a huge army and um, from all appearances, it would seem that it would be impossible to defeat him. But Deborah tells Barak that that's what God um, is commanding of him. And um, we also, in this story, in this narrative, we notice that every single time an evil dictator comes and oppresses the Israelites, which it happens many times over in these stories of the judges, the children of Israel cry out for a deliverer, and every single time, God hears and he sends a deliverer. And in this case, um, Deborah is telling Barak, God wants to use you in this way. And so Barak responds to God's command, uh, but he responds with fear. <laughs> like, I don't know about this, Lord. And he tells Deborah, as a matter of fact, I don't know that he even thinks of God in this moment because he's really just hearing Uh, the words of the human that's bringing God's message to him. And so he tells Deborah, well, I'll go if you'll go with me. (laughs) I know. Uh, Yeah. And so, which is a a surprising turn of events, especially for this culture and that time that he would ask for her help. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, he does. Um, He says that he, he wants her to go as well. And surprisingly, Deborah agrees. She says that she will. Uh, but she continues to tell him more of what God's saying. And one of the things that she tells him is that um, you're not going to get the glory for this defeat. Right. Actually, a woman is going to get the glory for the defeat. Right. And um, he still wants to go. And so Deborah agrees and she goes with him and uh, they go into battle. And um, just like just like God promised, he's able to um, subdue the enemy. And um, Sisera goes running off the battlefield in fear and terror because um, they're they're taking over and able to 
um, to hold back their troops. And as he's fleeing the battlefield, the Bible says that he runs into a woman named Jael. Now, in the middle of this whole narrative in chapter four, you're reading along about the story about what Deborah says and then how um, Barak agrees and goes. And then there's just, it feels like there's this interruption in the story and you hear about this man who moves into the area with his wife. And I think his name was Hebron or Hebron. Heber, yeah. I don't, a bear. That's what it was. I'm okay. saying it wrong. Yeah. And um, so, but what we find out is there is purpose even in that little part um, because later on when Sisera comes off the field, he meets up with Heber's wife, Jael, and he trusts her because she's one of them and she's not part of the enemy's troops. And so she uh, helps him, brings him water, cares for him in his tent until he falls asleep. And then... The Bible tells us all the nitty-gritty details of how she <laughs> drives a stake through his head, through his temple, and she kills him um, and fulfills the prophecy mm -hmm. that Deborah said was going to happen, which yeah. is that a woman would, uh, would subdue the enemy for yeah. them. So that is the story of Deborah and Barak um, and, and how um, God... God used it. Now, there's lots more to it, but that's the sure, general yeah. idea of what happens in the story. Yeah, so... I'm, oh, go ahead, Kathy. I was just going to say, and uh, I love that, you know, maybe maybe they're dancing over the graves of their enemies, sort of, mm -hmm. but that what does Deborah do? She just burst out in song. Mm -hmm. yeah. I love yes. this. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't it remind you of Miriam? You know, after they crossed yes. the Red Sea... And she, she went and grabbed the tambourine and started leading them in that wonderful song. Right. And to me, it reminded me for Deborah to do that. And I guess yeah. Barack, or Barak said, oh, okay, and just started joining her. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. These women were were powerful leaders yeah. in, in their time. And even in, in for our time, they're considered yeah. powerful leaders. Sure. Yeah. Do you know that there were only five prophets <laughs> female prophets uh -huh. mentioned in the Bible. And right, Miriam yeah. is the first one. Deborah's right. one. There's actually one that was a, um, like, evil prophetess. Okay. And then there were a couple, Isaiah's wife. Right. And then there was one more, um, I can't remember. I have it written down somewhere. Anyway, so there were not many. And so it was interesting, like, how they both sang these songs of yeah. just worship. Just right. Exulting just, in just God's like, deliverance. They couldn't hold themselves back. No, I just I thought that was really cool. And that that's, I don't know if men are that way, but have y'all ever been in where the Lord just, your heart was bursting? Yes. And, and you just burst out in <laughs> yeah. song? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell I'm me about sing yours. Sing the doxology. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I can think of a, many times, but um, specifically, I remember being in Alaska for I had never we had never been there my brother lives there and we visited and I can remember standing we went in a in a small boat and we were on like a little island there were mountains around us mountains like I'd never seen in my life um water I just couldn't believe and how big the world felt and then right at our feet were the tiniest shells the entire beach was covered in teeny tiny shells and I remember just thinking God made 
this. It was, it seemed so big and so tiny at the same time. And we began to sing all of my family. We were on the beach and we just began to spontaneously worship God because we couldn't contain what we were thinking about him and, and how amazed we were. Cool. I know. I don't, I'm not poetic myself. I love that God's word gives us that language of feeling like what right. you were talking about with the yeah. Psalms, like just moments where you just can't help but say the heavens declare right. the glory, glory of God <laughs> yeah. or like how majestic yeah. is your yeah. name? Um, yeah. Uh, well, so true. we've been looking at these women of the word in view of the sin that they struggled with either their, their identity as sinner before mm-hmm. they were saved by faith in, in, um, the promised Messiah or, you know, and in Christ, um, or just the sin that they struggled with as saints. Um, so their sin, their suffering, and then their identity as saints. So we've already, um, before we started the podcast, we kind of discussed, yeah, it doesn't tell us anything about mm-hmm. Deborah's sin. So we certainly knew that no. she was a sinner. She was a human, she so was, yes. we know she, she sinned. Um, yeah. I just, you know, she was famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the people just looked to her. So there was something in her mm-hmm. yeah. uh, that people, I mean, they even named those trees you mentioned. That's right, the trees, the of, trees Deborah. of Deborah. The trees of Deborah. They just, yeah. uh, so like you said, there had to be something there, but there was also something there that drew sure. everyone to Scripture her. honors her, right. whereas you right. see the other judges. Yeah. I mean, they had moments of faith, yes, but I wouldn't say consistent. They were not characterized faith. by faith. Yes. Right. Um, so that's neat. Um, what did in your study, what did you see about Deborah's suffering and how that her her perspective was different because she did trust the Lord. And we also know that the judges, the other judges who had gone before her and after her, and they were not following God. So I would imagine that their perspective was very different. She probably didn't share the same opinions with other judges. And we also know that when, I mean, the world that she was living in was characterized by sin and turning away from God, which has all kinds of repercussions. Um, And so I just imagine how broken the world must have felt to her. And, um, and, I think that when when you're looking at a really broken world and you feel like you know what you know what that world needs and and yet you don't have the ear of of people that can be so frustrating and so I I can imagine that that she would feel very frustrated at times. Yeah. The other judges, you know, took up their sword mm-hmm. and you know the one right before her Shamgar Kill six hundred men. Uh, that bloody detail of how that Ehud killed that king. Um, I mean, you know, they were warriors. Mm-hmm. So she was kind of an enigma to mm-hmm. come along, and even in, in to follow as well. Is that mm-hmm. you know, she was a woman. You know, you would think they might have a hard time accepting her, but it never said that. They just I'm sure there were some who did, yeah. and I'm sure that was a part of her suffering. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure so. there were some out there who wanted nothing to do with her and maybe even disagreed and um, made her life really difficult. We don't know, but yeah. we can kind of derive. You know, that. there's something in her song I was reading. Um, yeah. Okay. So, like, I think it's like verse ten of of chapter five when it talks about uh, speak you who ride on white donkeys, sit in judges' attire, walk along the road, 
far from the noise of the archers. So, I mean, maybe characterizing her place in the war, uh, but seeing it as she's still leading, perhaps, you know, as she goes along. I, I think that's who they're talking about. Um, so, um, you know, just a whole different mindset and, and uh, for someone to look up to. You know, one thing I read talked about the period of Judges Everybody, they were looking for a hero. Yeah. They were always looking for somebody that could help them and, and a hero. And so she was quite the the uh, change from what they normally had looked to. But it, it um, she she was quite a leader in what they, uh, they followed the Lord then for 40 years, uh, right. were faithful during her leadership, which is, which is great, which I look to see that's probably, that's what the average was. Right. <laughs> and yeah. then they'd fall away and then cry, yeah. like you said, <laughs> cry to the Lord. But um, but that's good that, that they did follow her for those 40 years. Right. Well, what about her identity as a saint of God? Like, what did you see about about her faith? The Lord used her, didn't Absolutely. he? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. she, he wasn't speaking to anyone else, evidently. Uh, what a responsibility, good grief, uh, every day to go through and, and judge between people and their issues and and uh, uh, to be there to help with their disputes. And then for the Lord to tell her to go tell Barak this, and, uh, you know, she didn't waver. Instead of, instead of saying, wait, and he's supposed to listen to me, you know? And uh, she just went, um, you know, how what a burden and a blessing mm-hmm. for the Lord to use her. And, and in the song, once again, it talks about, um, about her and, and uh, that to lead the captives away and wake up, wake up Deborah and, and sing a song and um, just, you know, just all she did to bless her nation. Um, I think that she had such a confident um, knowledge of her identity as an azer, which that word has come back so many times. We started with Eve and how God created her to be a helper, a strong mm-hmm. helper and sustainer of life for Adam. And, and that every woman who has come after, you can see how God has used them um, to be a strong helper. And Deborah mm-hmm. is no different. It just feels like Deborah really has such a strong sense of who she was made to be, um, and she trusts God in that. And even in her going with Barak, she yes. goes as that strong helper to him. Yeah. And she says, like, go today is the day. The Lord yeah. goes before you. I mean, right. she, the Lord gave her such confidence she could just, it just, it yeah. went from her it to him. It also amazes me that she doesn't put herself as, it's not, she's not who the story's about. She never claims, right. it never says, I'm saying or do this. She keeps God at the center of this story and makes it very clear. God is the one who command, is commanding. God is the one who is leading. God is the one who will deliver. God yes. is the one who will subdue. I'll tell you what Matthew Henry in his commentary said. He was comparing Deborah and her confidence in God going before them to Sisera. 
Cicero was that mm. commander, and his confidence was in those iron chariots. Yep. Like, which was what oh, it, the people Some visual, they trust were terrified. There we go. Yes. Some in horses. And that was a sign yeah. of their, their power. Um, but Matthew Henry says Cicero's confidence was chiefly in his chariots, but we have ground to hope that God goes before us. Um, and if we have that ground, we may go on with courage and cheerfulness. Be not dismayed at the difficulties thou meetest with in resisting Satan, in serving God, or suffering for him. For is not the Lord gone before thee? Follow him then fully. Yeah. Oh, that's that. so that's beautiful. What, and that's what Deborah did. Yeah. And, I mean, we she didn't come from some great line. I mean, it, like, you know what I mean? It, uh, what the first uh, judge was a nephew of Caleb. I was reading about that. And, um, I mean, you know, you think, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And then all of a sudden this random man's wife yeah. steps mm-hmm. up, yeah. you know. And so all of us random people, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it is. It's an encouragement to know that you never know when God's going to step God uses step down. ordinary yeah. people to do extraordinary yes, things. Yes. Also, he used J.L. I mean, God yeah. was oh, writing wow. this story. And even though the story is about God, he kind of bookends it. You have Deborah at the beginning, and then you have J.L. at the end. And they're both strong helpers in in both situations and god is is the one commanding their their movements and the courage she had good grief Mm -hmm. i mean he could wake up at any time Mm -hmm. uh it was a very courageous thing for her to do there was one other thing i saw and it was in her song you know she praises god gives him the glory and she sings of the blessedness of fighting for God. She mentions the tribes that came and they showed up and they fought. Yes. And she also speaks of God's enemies and, you know, basically like they don't have a chance. God will bring judgment on them. But she mentions a third party. And I think we can learn from this. She mentions the four tribes that did not show up mm. at Barak's call. And... um, yeah. in that In that Matthew Henry commentary... Um, he compares it to those who um, they're not promoting God's work in the world, but they're also not fighting against it. They're just eh, mm. on the fence, like yeah. serving their own interest. And and he takes from that song a warning of those who aren't actively fighting for God's cause in the world because they love the easy path in life mm-hmm. or right. the, it's dangerous yeah. or it's going to cause them too much trouble. And yeah. so I think that we can learn that from her um, just encouragement of honoring those who have aligned themselves with the Lord. Cause we know that his purposes can't be thwarted. Yeah. Well, speaking of that easy path that Deborah could have followed and not going to war and not trusting in God's promises. Um, we're going to talk about another woman who also rejected the easy path of staying in her home country and and chose to follow the God of Israel. And that is Ruth. And we're also going to talk about her mother-in-law, Naomi. So this also happens in the period of the judges, but it's in a time of relative peace. Do one of you want to set this story up for us? I'll I'll try that. Um, So, yeah, Naomi, uh, family, and uh, Abimelech lived in, did I say that right? Elimelech. Elimelech. Yeah, (laughs) E-L. Yeah, lived in the Bethlehem area. And uh, because of of drought, harsh conditions, then we um, um, find them having to leave. They go to Moab and, 
he dies, the husband dies, and then the two sons die. But they have married these Moabite women. And so there, I've, I've read some that perhaps there could be some criticism of Elimelech for not being faithful and staying home. Because when, he, when they go back, you know, Boaz was there. He was rich. Things were good. So we're not sure if part of this, uh, but she was faithful. She followed him. And, um, but in coming back, uh, she had an unusual relationship with her daughter-in-laws mm-hmm. and daughters-in-law. And they uh, wanted to follow her. And uh, she couldn't talk Ruth into going back. So here they show up. And here's probably where we see the center part of of Naomi because she she has a hard time with with that. And they say, oh, you're home. We're glad to have you back, Naomi. And she says, no, my name's not Naomi anymore. Mm -hmm. It's it's Mara because of the bitterness that God has shown me in my life. And uh, she even... When she was talking to her daughters-in-law, she even said, I'm, I'm offended for your sake of what God has done to us. And I'm going, wow. You know, yeah. and in some ways, that's it's good that she is offended for their sake, but she's offended at a, at a righteous God sure. at the same time. But she, she gets there, and they are the talk of the town. I mean, they show up. And, um, but most everyone listening today knows the story. We sure. all love the, sto- love the story of Ruth and Boaz. And we didn't mention Rahab, but we ought to because <laughs> yeah. Yeah. she is part of this. She too. is part yeah. of this story. Mm-hmm. So as we, uh, as we, we uh, talk about the center or the saint part of Naomi, uh, she still tries to help her daughter-in-law and uh, is a little conniving, but it may not be conniving. It may be just led by the Lord to know the wise things to do. And Ruth is such a precious daughter-in-law. Uh, y'all can talk about if you can find anything, any uh, faults in her <laughs> other than her heathen background. She grew up as a Moabite. But uh, I love it when Boaz said um, that your fame has come before you and that you have found shelter in the wings of our mm-hmm. Lord. Yeah. Uh, and so she... Uh, it was not just Naomi, evidently, that, that everybody knew that she followed. She wanted to, to have this, this God as her God. So um, anyway, we know the story that, that she sets this all up, and this sweet daughter-in-law uh, provides for them. And here she was really uh, in danger going out on her own like this, but the Lord provided Boaz to watch over her and provide for her. And uh, in your commentaries, did you see all kinds of explanations of what it meant for her to go and uncover his feet in the in the uh, this thrashing floor? What did you find out? I just read that it was a possibly a way of her showing her. Well, there's like the spreading of the garment and like the laying of the feet, and that. Like it was a way of showing humility of like dependence Vulnerability. on him, okay. even as she was being very bold. Like yes. it's a very bold act to ask him to essentially marry her as to redeem her. Yeah. Um, but sh- those symbols were, I, I think, of, of like humble dependence on him. Right. That's, that's whatever I yeah. meant. Yeah. And, and he was careful to tell the workers that, um, you know, that, that he wanted to protect her uh, virtuous reputation and uh, that even though maybe it would have been, it was kind of a risky thing to do uh, to do that because he could have said no way. Right. But that 
uh, Naomi asked her to do this. And so, uh, girls out there, the main message of this is to listen to your mother-in-law. Probably not. But anyway, it is interesting that uh, she did follow all her advice, and the Lord blessed it. And I love it when Naomi said, um, yes, when when, uh, Ruth tells her what happens, and she said, oh, let's just wait and see, because he is not going to let anything the day passed before he takes care of it. Yes, <laughs> it's very romantic. It was very Indeed. romantic. But then mm-hmm. to think, um, Boaz's mother was Rahab, mm-hmm. and so who else would have looked as um, charitably toward this outsider mm-hmm. coming in, yes. except a man who had an outsider as a mother and uh, knew the redemption of his great God who could bring such redemption through the line of, I mean, he didn't know all this, but just to know that the God could redeem this mm-hmm. and that he, he did not think twice about taking this Moabite woman and as his wife. And um, so I just think that's wonderful that, that then she becomes the great grandmother of David mm-hmm. uh, just, and then so Rahab's the great, great grandmother and um, then Ruth is the grandmother of David. God uses interesting stories and unlikely people. Well, and Ruth and Naomi are living in the same period of time of the judges where the the Israelites have turned their face away from God and they're living in rebellion. And so... Um, I just think about how incredibly unique it is that they they were so countercultural at that time in so many ways, um, but but that's one of many, and and that they they choose to follow God and to trust God, um, even though they have no idea what the outcome yeah. will be, yeah. Um, yeah. and following the laws of of like redemption, mm-hmm. you know, and then that's such a great picture of the Redeemer yes. um, coming right. to uh, bring them back. Right. Both um, of these stories point to that, yeah. to do. our Deliverer and Redeemer. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> a form of the word redemption is used 23 times in wow. this short book. Wow. And in the end, you know, Boaz marries Ruth, and they have a son, Obed. And, and so that property that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, mm-hmm. had inherited as part of the inheritance of God's people now was not lost from the family, that it was preserved and and Obed would have inherited that land. So that land is redeemed. Ruth and Naomi's lives are redeemed because they are provided for. There's this new life. Naomi is provided for. That's a total reversal. And you're right, Kathy, like it does that. This book is pointing to this greater redemption. Again, we talk about the train of redemption, all of these stops leading up to the saving work of God, sending Christ. And so here's this is another stop saying this is redemption and right. it's coming. And here's just a little tiny glimpse of, right. of um, what it will be like with new life in Christ. Yeah. Did y'all picture her out working in these fields near Bethlehem and what, several hundred years later, David's uh-huh. out there right. with his sheep yes. Yes. And, yeah. that, and how far from that was the manger and the yeah. stable. Yeah, uh, it's just crazy that all of that is being played right here in in these just few acres of right. land. Yeah. 
So um, what more do we see of Ruth and Naomi, either their identity as sinners, you know, pre-faith or, or the sin that they're struggling with? How, do, how does God use that? Remember when Boaz gave her a meal, gave her this cracked wheat to eat, and she just ate some of it but put the rest back, took it back to her mother-in-law. I mean, this woman, uh, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, she was a saint. You know, we say that. But, I mean, she, um, she really um, was an unusual woman. And then remember when Obed was born, they took the baby to Naomi mm-hmm. and even said that she was be, would be its nurse. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was very generous and very, um, I don't know, the Lord had just done a work on Loyal. her. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, you know, Naomi, it doesn't, it's hard, you know, when we have questions, we know mm-hmm. that questions of, of God's sovereignty and aren't sinful per se, but you know, it's hard to say like she she was deeply struggling Mm -hmm. with um, not just grief, but questioning that, you know, God was treating her like an enemy, but how gracious is God that in her doubt, he shows that he is actively working his goodness and grace in Naomi's life. And so we know that is not true, that, Um, that she was not God's enemy and he was not treating her like an enemy. He was using it's, it's one of the reasons it's so important as believers to know the character of God yes. and to trust the character of God. We yeah. need daily reminders about who God is and what his character is like, because there are going to be moments that are not going to make sense. And there are going to be um, stories that God is writing that Mm -hmm. we don't know why or the outcome. And we might even feel like God is against us or that somehow we've been made his enemy. Um, And we have in those moments, we just have to trust his character. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Ruth, we see her identity, as we already talked about, as a, a Moabite woman. And, mm-hmm. and they were um, worshipers of, of, I don't even know foreign what all gods. the idols, yeah. foreign <laughs> gods. Um, but we see that, that Ruth's faith that God had given her was foreshadowing, same thing mm-hmm. as Rahab, how God's, the, the mystery of God's plan to bring in both Jews and Gentiles, right. those who are far away. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12 says that, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That would have been Ruth and Rahab had God left them right. in, in their, um, their pagan beliefs. Uh, Ephesians goes on, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Yeah, yeah. so Matthew drove that point home in his genealogy, right? In the beginning mm-hmm. of the first Matthew included Rahab and Ruth yes. in the genealogy. Yeah. And unusual to include women, but also these outsiders he was he was setting these Jews up who we, he was writing this gospel to that they could see that this was God's intent all along mm-hmm. that the Gentiles would be part of the fold of Christ. Yeah. Uh, no, we've talked a lot about their suffering. Was there anything else that that you guys saw in in their suffering that the Lord used? You know, I think Naomi um, she had felt so abandoned that I loved it when she completely changed her song when 
um, Ruth came back and said, you know, she saw all this wheat, said, what happened, child? And she says, oh, I was looked on with favor. And, and what's his name? Boaz. And, and I can just see <laughs> Naomi smile. Yeah, she was so say, excited. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Said, God, God is, he is at work. After all, God is at work. And, and just how, how in our own lives, sometimes if, if hardship hits, but then the Lord reminds us, and we see things and just say, yes, Lord, I know. You've been at work all the time. Yeah. Well, and in this story, it, it lifts our eyes up to, um, to take your, your mind out of the process that you're in or whatever suffering, moment of suffering, and it, it lets you have a glimpse of God because he, he was both the God of lack and the God of provision. He, yes. he was the same God created, let famine happen, yes. and then provided. The same God um, was over the barrenness of, yeah. of Naomi and then provided the air. Um, and the same God was the, the God in every scene of human history who, who brings death and life. And yeah. so I just think that the story helps you to to lift your eyes up yeah. out of the hardness of the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And you know when when God told Abraham that he was going to use his family to be a blessing to the entire earth. I love how like this this little story yes. shows so you have redemption that happens to Naomi at the end of the book. She's flourishing in her old age. Mm-hmm. Um, you have blessing for Ruth. She now has a family and inheritance. They, in chapter four, where the elders are blessing their union, they became, you know, Boaz was a blessing to that community. Right. Their family blessed the oh, community. Yeah. And then God's going to use th- this redemption to bless the nation because King David is going to come down a few generations from their line. And then eventually you get to Christ where there we have, you know, redemption in Christ blesses the whole, right. the whole earth. Yeah. Um, so it just is such a neat such picture. A picture. Yeah. Yes. And you think about how Jesus came for the uh, mistreated and shamed. And mm-hmm. even Jesus himself was such an unlikely Christ. You know, right. many people had such a hard time accept, accepting him, but uh He's such a savior that everyone can identify with because he was a friend of these same kind of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them were women and they were healed and saved from society's unfairness. And God uses women with a past. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? That's so good. And that's so true today. And um, not just women with a past, but they are valuable along with those that um, are being used with a very different story of following God very early in their lives, but still. It just gives everyone hope that um, that God can use just the most unlikely of us. Well, these Old Testament scriptures, as Paul says in Romans, certainly are provided to not just point to Christ, but to instruct us and mm-hmm. to give us endurance and encouragement so that we can um, live to, to glorify God faithfully. So is one of the things that I took and going back to the story of Deborah, I was really um, impacted by her uh, willingness to encourage the the leaders in her in her sphere of influence um, who who were were men in most situations, and as her role as 
helper to them. One of the things that she did was to encourage them with God's word, encourage them to do um, the things that God was calling them to do. And I, I took that as a, a personal um just an inspiration to to be that same kind of person and we are co-laborers in taking the gospel to the world um and i feel like um we can be encouragers in that by just simply by taking god's word into circumstances where it might not be yeah i think my biggest takeaway was from the story of ruth so when she came back they came back to Bethlehem, she immediately sets to work in the fields to provide. And the scripture says she worked hard. I mean, like they took notice of how faithful she was. She had no idea that God was going to provide a husband for her. Like she had, and even when he did, she had no idea like how God was going to use this, but she was, it was just her mundane Mm -hmm. daily faithfulness of doing just that, those basic, like what God had called her right. to do. Uh-huh. And that's encouraging to me because I look at my life, I look at my family, you know, I hope that my sons will grow up, that yeah. they will marry godly women and lead godly families. You know, like you could, I, But I don't know what the future holds. Right. Um, what I do know is I can wake up and with each decision yeah. ask, like, how am, am I glorifying God with this? Um, you know, disciple them or, you know, serve the Lord just in the little ways in the mundane life. And um, we just leave it to God that God will use it for his glory. True. That's good. Well, we're so glad that you joined us. I hope you have um, enjoyed hearing a little bit about Deborah and Barak and Ruth and Naomi. I know we really enjoyed digging into God's word and looking at how he is using women like them and women like us to accomplish his will. Next time we'll be together, we will be talking with some ladies from our church. So we hope you will tune in to hear from them because we want to hear about how God is working right here in our church family. You guys have a great week and thanks for joining us on our